Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. We'll be looking at the very first chapter, Matthew chapter 1, and we'll read in just a few moments, verses 18 through verse 25. Welcome, every single one of you. Um, we say it's it's two days and a wake-up. That's all it is away, as we are excited anticipating the celebration of Christmas time. Thank you, Aaron, and the rest for leading us, and thank you for the special choir, the young ones who just encouraged our hearts. I was listening to them. I, I thought about the, the little choir that I heard was singing the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There's, there's a line in there of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I think we're going to sing it at the end of the service. It talks about the fact that God and sinners are reconciled. God and sinners are reconciled. But as that choir was singing, the mic was put up in front of um, one little boy who got the words wrong and kind of kind of drowned out everyone else as he sang God and sinners dressed in style. <clears throat> you know, I think as we... Um, Look forward to Christmas. There's a lot of like focusing on the dressing and style part, isn't there? With the presents and the, the, the wrappings. But may we be mindful of the message of Christmas, God and sinners reconciled. We have an amazing opportunity to be encouraged and reminded of the incarnation of Christ we see that in our text this morning. First, we need to bow our heads and pray as the Lord's help as we listen and learn together. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for this time you've given to us this morning. We're thankful for this day and this season. We ask, Lord, now as we have a few moments with your word open before us, that you would do a work, that you would stir the affections of our heart and focus our attention on you, on Jesus, the greatest gift. I pray, Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds, our eyes and our ears to hear and to see and to know you better. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All of history, you know, all of history is marked by the arrival of Jesus Christ. Everything is divided. All of history is divided between what? B.C., before Christ, or A.D., Anno Domini, which means what? In the year of our Lord. We know that there are atheists who get angered by this. There's skeptics and cynics who seethe at the very idea of history divided by the life of Christ. Some try to reject it, some try to ignore it, but the truth is, every single time that you write the date on top of your paper, we cannot deny it. When Jesus arrived into the world, he changed everything. Now, not only does he change the course and the direction of history, what I refer to on a universal or on a macro level, he also changes on a personal or an individual, what I refer to as a micro level, when people place their trust in 
Jesus as their Savior. They surrender their life. They submit to Him as Lord. Lives change every single week. I hear bits and pieces of stories and testimonies of people who say this, before I met Jesus, I used to blank, just fill it in. Before I met Jesus, I used to always just be so angry. Before I met Jesus, I used to always be worried. I used to always be anxious. I used to always be scared. Before I met Jesus, I used to live with a hopelessness. I used to lie. I used to cheat, steal. I used to get high. I used to get drunk. I used to sleep around. But you know what? Since I met Jesus, I don't do that any longer. I don't want to do that any longer. Since Jesus arrived, life is no easier, but it's, it's different for me. I'm changed. It may not be so dramatic for every single one of us sitting here this morning. You might just be a what? A dad or a mom who gets up every day and goes to work. But for some reason, since you've placed your faith in Jesus, you live with a different purpose, a different desire, a different longing. You want to be the best dad, the best mom that you can possibly be to your children. You want to send your life around what? around the local church, around family. You want to live with with purpose. You want to be more faithful, more sacrificial. You see, Jesus changes the course, the direction of people's life. Jesus alters the life of people everywhere. In our text this morning, we will see that, particularly surrounding the life of one man we're going to give our attention to. It's interesting as this historical record seems strangely silent. Not a lot of details about this one man. <clears throat> we do not know much about him. We know that he was Jewish. We know that he was from Nazareth. And it appears to be that he's kind of a quiet, simple, hard-working man. You probably wouldn't pick him out of the crowd because he'd be the type of person that kind of wants to stay in the back and not be up front. He probably wore well-worn clothes. He had strong, calloused hands and skin that had been darkened as a result of working in a hot Middle Eastern sun. He was just an ordinary man we're going to focus on this morning. But he's in the middle of an extraordinary story. His name was Joseph. There are, there, there is no record of any words that he ever spoke anywhere in scripture. There's no reference to his stature, what he looked like, or his status. The scriptures, we have what? We have, we have the, the gospel of Matthew and we have Dr. Luke's accounts. They, they, they are the only ones who make reference and they're almost devoid of any detail. But yet without them, we would know absolutely nothing about this quiet, adoptive father who protected the infancy of the savior of the world. Although shrouded in mystery, we do know this. We know that the life of Joseph literally was altered. The course that he was on changed when Jesus 
arrived. Now, before we read this text, I want to ask you this question. I want you to be pondering on this question throughout our time together this morning. How has the arrival of Jesus changed the course of your life? Think about that question. How has the arrival of Jesus changed the course of your life? Matthew chapter 1, we pick it up. Very familiar text this time of the year. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, there are stories in Scripture that I love. And then there are stories in Scripture that I love. There's a difference. And this, this story this morning falls into that latter category. I love to teach and preach on the story of Jesus' birth. It doesn't just defy the norm. It defies everything that is normal. Everything that is natural. So we're going we're gonna to pick it apart a little bit. We begin with this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. So we know Matthew is the one who's writing this. It's really not argued that he is the author. If you remember Matthew, who's what? The former tax collector. He was a thug. He was an extortioner who becomes a follower of Jesus, a disciple, an apostle, a preacher, and a teacher. I think there's a little bit of a changed life that is writing these words. And basically Matthew is saying what? Here's the story. This is what I'm telling you. Listen up. This is how Jesus was born. Here's how it happened. We hear that this morning. We're like, well, this is pretty straightforward. He's telling a story. It seems like we can track with that. It's all pretty simple. It's all pretty clear. Next words, when his mother Mary. So we know that Jesus' mother's name is Mary, and we're still good with that. We're thinking about presents and stockings and Christmas trees and food and but, but we're still tracking with the fact that Jesus had a mother whose name was Mary, and we're following that. 
It says that she was had been betrothed to Joseph. It's all pretty clear. We have a young woman whose name is Mary, betrothed, which means she's in a promised relationship that is moving specifically toward marriage with another young man whose name was Joseph. Again, it seems pretty clear, pretty understandable, right up to the point that we see this. She was found to be with child. Which means that it was now discovered, probably from what they estimate about four months pregnant, she's actually beginning to show. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is where our eyebrows kind of begin to rise. The order's not perfect. But it would not be the first time that an engaged couple actually found themselves expecting a baby. But the kicker is this. The kicker is found in this phrase just prior to that. Before they came together. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. Now I want to be careful here. I do not want to get into a biology lesson. I don't want to get too far ahead of parents, especially as I know that there are children present here this morning who may not fully understand how babies arrive. You can be assured I will not get into a physiological explanation, but I will say this, and I believe that any age can and should handle this truth. Babies arrive when mommy and daddy are together. We'll leave it there. Well, but, well, but there's exceptions to that. What about like, you know, like the Petri dish? What about what IVF in vitro? I know there's somebody who's going to ask that question. It still takes a daddy and a mommy. It still takes a man and a woman. So we have before us a baby that is about to be born, that is defying that which is normal. Because what it says this, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now this phrase points to the fact that this is outside of what? The realm of scientific explanation. This phrase here, found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, is outside the natural. Because what? He has been conceived in an unnatural way. Therefore, it is what we refer to as a supernatural way. Now, this is the first comment in this story, in all of the New Testament, that we realize that something is different here. Something is very, very different. This is not a once upon a time. No, no, it's not like that. We move this story into a category that exists absolutely alone. There is no other story. There is no other birth that is like this. Therefore, we must give it our full and undivided attention. Now hold on tight here. We have before us the Holy Spirit. 
as a living person in unity of the Godhead, which is distinct from what? The Father and the Son. Thus, what happens here is we have, what, a Trinitarian doctrine that is surfacing as an explanation of the hypostatic union as the incarnation of God is constituted a complex person that is both human and divine in nature. Which means what? Jesus is not half man and half God. Jesus is at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man. Born consisting of one substance, which what? As caused to happen through the incarnation, the intervention, I should say, of the Holy Spirit. I say all of that just to emphasize the fact that when we get to the Christmas story, specifically we get to the birth of Jesus, this is not an add-on, this is not a tack-on to an already cozy story. This is not like, hey, let's add a miraculous conception. We've got O Holy Night, we've got Joy to the World, we've got angels singing, we've got shepherds running, We've got cows mooing. I got an idea. How about a virgin birth? No, no, no. What we have here is the sovereignty of God on full display. 700 years, 700 years prior, the prophet Isaiah writes these words, what, to his people that are looking for a promise of hope. Isaiah writes this in chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. I believe that Matthew just quoted that particular text. At the same time, do you realize as a contemporary of Isaiah was the prophet Micah? Who also, what, 700 years before the arrival writes this, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small, from you will come what? For me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old. The sovereignty of God on display is revealed through the perfectly planned, prophesied details of this birth. This is not by accident. This is by appointment. So really we know that there are skeptics and cynics and you will hear them at this time of the year. Really now, really, like what are the chances? <clears throat> Professor of mathematics and author of the book Science Speaks his name is Peter Stoner. Is that a great last name or what? Gave 600 of his students a math probability problem that would determine the odds for one person fulfilling eight specific prophecies. So there's two that we just mentioned. What? She's going to be born of a virgin. She's going to be born in Bethlehem. If we were to add to that just, just eight of the major prophecies, there's actually 61 very specific 
prophecies, messianic prophecies from Old Testament to New Testament. So if we were to take, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, we know that his hands and feet were pierced on the cross. We know that he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He rode in on a donkey. Um, lots were cast for his clothing. Um, we know that he was going to come from the lineage of David. We know that his birth was going to be uh, announced, was going to be heralded. So we have eight right there of the 61 prophecies. So, so Dr. Stoner gives his math students this probability. Like, what would it actually be? The students calculate that the odds against one person fulfilling all eight prophecies are astronomical. One in ten to the 21st power, or ten to the 21. To illustrate that number, Stoner gave the following example. This is where I wanted to listen up. First, blanket the entire earth landmass with silver dollars 120 feet high. Cover every part of the earth land with 120 feet high stacked of silver dollars. Second, specially mark one of those dollars and randomly bury it. Third, ask a person to travel the earth and select the marked dollar while blindfolded from the trillions of other dollars. I read that people can do some pretty squishy things with numbers, especially with a last name like Stoner. So it's important to note that Stoner's work was reviewed by the American Scientific Association, which stated, the mathematical analysis is based upon principles of probability which are thoroughly sound, and Professor Stoner has applied these principles in a proper and convincing way. All of that to say what? This is not like... By chance, someone is what? Clearly, in detail, life prophesied 700 plus years prior. Now come is fulfilled in perfect fashion. The event is so big, so monumental, the arrival of Jesus must impact, must impact the lives of others. It certainly what altered the life of one who we simply know is described what? As a just man. Joseph was a just man who just stands silently in the background. He's not announced in great or grand fashion. He's certainly not adored as much as cute baby Jesus or even his mother Mary. If there's one thing that was kind of unique, that was kind of special, we know about Joseph, it was his family. There is meticulous family record. We know his father's name was Jacob. We know his grandfather's name was Mathin. We know his great-grandfather's name was Eliezer. Matter of fact, we know the names of his great, 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 great grandfathers going all the way back, tracing the genealogy to what the forefathers of the Jewish people. There's some like unique names there. Asun, Abiud, and Zerubbabel, and Zadok even makes the list. There's big names. There's like heavy hitters in his family. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's even a king in his family whose name was David. He was a great king, but he wasn't the greatest king. Joseph gets word that his beloved is pregnant and he knows that he is not 
the Father. Now it says that he's a just man. It would translate he's simply a good man. And so he wants to protect the reputation of his Mary. And so he decides just to quietly and quickly kind of separate. Let's give her a divorce. Scripture says that Joseph, typical guy when faced with difficult problems, I need a nap first. Joseph falls asleep. He has a dream and an angel speaks to him and speaking to him, he tells him three very specific things. Number one, do not divorce. Do not separate from her. Mary has not been unfaithful. As a matter of fact, she has been so faithful that God actually chose her to be the birth mother of the savior of the entire world. And that the baby has been conceived supernaturally through the Holy Spirit. Second thing that the angel tells Joseph in this dream is what? You are going to be the daddy. And you're going to have a son. And you're going to name him Jesus. The third part, what? We know that this is an important plan that has been put into place and prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before. And then there is this phrase that I want us to pause and give attention to this morning. It's this phrase in verse 24. You can underscore it. You can highlight it. Here it is. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And Joseph woke up. He did exactly as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. So what's, like, what's the big deal here? The big deal is this. Just like what Joseph, as many people that are here today, we have what? We have our own plans for our own life. Joseph had his plans. Mary had her plans. First comes love. Then comes marriage. Then comes a baby in a baby's carriage. There was no baby's name picked out. Because there wasn't going to be a baby until later on. There was no what? Bethlehem was not in the radar. A harried trip to Egypt was not part of the plan that they had. A son, a baby who is the savior of the world, that was not written into the script of Joseph's life. In Joseph's life, where was his focus? The guest list had been made. Engagement pictures had already been taken. Save the date cards had already been sent out. The house was probably already being built. Maybe they were talking with dad about buying the carpenter shop one day. The honeymoon plans were being set. They were registered at Bed Bath and Beyond Nazareth. Maybe they began to shop for a new camel. <laughs> Tired of driving around on dad's old donkey. So there's what? There's like this buzz, this excitement, 
this anticipation of their course, their life, their plans. Everything is blown up. Everything changes with these words, what with the announcement, Jesus is arriving. Rather than arguing like most of us would do. Yeah, this is not a good time. Rather than questioning or trying to convince God, you know what, I think you ought to pick somebody else. I think they would be better for this task. Instead of just grumbling, this is a bad idea. It says that Joseph simply awoke, and he did. As the angel of the Lord commanded him. This man stands. Remember, there is not a spoken word. His actions speak louder than words, and he stands as an example, and he teaches us how every single one of us should live our lives with the understanding of the announcement that Jesus has arrived. Back to the very question that we started this morning. How has the arrival of Jesus changed the course of your life? Remember this, if, if Joseph was a carpenter before, it doesn't mean that he has to like stop being a carpenter. Doesn't mean, well, I guess I have to go to architect school now. No, it, it, it means what? He's still a carpenter, but he lives and he works. He wakes up every day with a different perspective, a different priority, a different plan, a different purpose. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God, which implies what? You do everything for his glory and not your own glory. That's where the story of Christmas begins to cut a little bit. Why? Because you and I have perfected living our lives around our plans, our story, for our glory. And Jesus is an add-on. Jesus is a tack-on. That we pause for a moment and stare in a manger and ooh and coo. How has the arrival of Jesus changed the course of your life? Jesus, Joseph. Joseph is before us an example of obedience and submission for the glory of God. Or what we call in our world, living on mission. People don't realize this. People don't realize that just as the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph, you realize that the word of the Lord speaks to you. Just as what the angel of the Lord said, Joseph, I want you to do this. The word of the Lord today speaks to us very, very clearly. First and foremost, what believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Don't believe, forgive me. I won't. Get to the fat guy in the red suit part, okay? But if there is to be focus and emphasis this morning, this season, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the word of the Lord is telling us. The word of the Lord says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. 
your own plans, in all of your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. The word of the Lord says what? You love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. The word of the Lord tells us what? Don't, don't, don't be anxious. How much more does the Lord love you than he does what? A little tiny bird. He knows when a bird flies. How, how much more important are you than that? The word of the Lord tells us, don't, don't, don't be afraid. Over and over and over again. Don't be afraid. The news and the collapse of what seems to be norm around us. There's no need to worry about that. The word of the Lord speaks to us. Then we step on one another's toes as we inevitably will do. Forgive one another even as Christ forgave you. That's what the word of the Lord tells us to do. The word of the Lord tells you, love your neighbor. Yeah, I just, I just don't like him very much. Like We just don't see eye to eye. Love your enemy. You can't get away from it. God's word speaks to us. The word of the Lord tells us, pray, pray constantly. Pray for those who speak or hurt you, despitefully use you. Pray without ceasing. The word of the Lord is filled with instruction. And yet we kind of just move on through life without altering the course and living with a new purpose and new plan. You can please understand that when you learn from Joseph to live like that, there are, there are a host of other people whose lives were completely altered. Whose, what, the, the course of their life was changed. I began to make a list and it's everywhere. Peter, Andrew, James, John, the Apostle Paul. I had a great idea about going through every single one of them, but after preaching for almost an hour last week, I decided not to do that. But let me remind you, let me remind you of one. I love the Apostle Peter, whose, whose life, the course of his life was totally changed after he met Jesus. We know that Peter has this unique, special relationship with the Lord that describes in many ways our own relationship, kind of stumbling forward. Peter writes this in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, we ourselves heard this very voice. He talked about the fact that they were, when they were on the top of the Mount Transfiguration. And Peter describes it. He says, we ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which, and I love this phrase that Peter uses. We've heard the voice of the Lord. We were right there. And Peter says this, you would do well to pay attention. I love that. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 19. I've met him. I've heard him. And this morning, upon the authority of the word of God, I echo the words of the apostle Peter. You would do well pay attention you would do well to pay attention so so what course have you set where's the the gps 
guiding you? What, what decisions and what plans do you have made? Let me, let me remind you, don't set those in cement. Listen to the message of the life-altering, course-changing arrival of Jesus. Some of you, I believe, at this very moment, at this very hour, at, are at a place of, I'm not quite sure, I'm not quite sure what's next. I could go this way, I go this way, I'm not quite sure. Could, could I invite you, could I encourage you to stay afterward, and I would love to talk with you or any one of the pastors or elders to meet you and pray with you. Just this week, I met a man who said, I have lived my entire life like this, and I don't want to live like that anymore. And literally said, quote, I want Jesus to change my life. And he accepted the Lord. And Jesus will hold up his end of what? Changing us, as we so desperately need. Don't race out. If you are in question about the message Jesus and the ministry that he has called you to, to live on mission for his glory, then please make sure that you stay afterwards to meet. May we pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love, your grace, your patience for us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, that changes the course, the purpose, and the plan for our lives. Help us now to live in full submission and obedience to you. We ask this in Jesus' name.